Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So says the Apostle Paul. He received the gospel, the good news of salvation from Christ himself. He preached it to the Corinthians while there, and through a letter he sent, he's made it known to us. He's made it absolutely clear that if we've received the gospel and are holding fast to it, we are saved. Saved from the consequences of our sin. Do you believe that? Are you absolutely certain of it? Do you know it to be true beyond a shadow of doubt? Or do you just hope it's so? Some years ago, the question, if you died today, would you go to heaven, became very popular in personal evangelism. It was intended to expose those who had built their hope of eternal life on the shaky foundation of good works. Most people answered the question with, I hope so. And were then asked why God should let them into heaven. The most common response centered on the life that they lived and the good they tried to do. The sad thing was that most Christians answered the same way, only adding church involvement to the list of good works they were counting on. When their attention was then directed to the grace of God and what Christ did on the cross, most Christians agreed that it was, of course, what Christ did that would save them, not what they did. But even then, most were uncomfortable stating with assurance that they would go to heaven. Whether they thought it was prideful to appear overconfident or really weren't certain, I don't know. But I'm convinced that neither the Apostle Paul nor the Apostle John would want us answering questions about our salvation with, I hope so. 39 times, John used the word no, K-N-O-W, in his first epistle. And he concludes our text for today by saying, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. If someone were to ask you if you died today, would you go to heaven, you should be able to say, absolutely. If you can't, something's wrong. I can think of three reasons you might question your salvation. 
You're not certain who Jesus is and have doubts about his authority to save you. You're not sure of yourself and your standing with him. You don't realize that eternal life is a gift, not something you have to earn. Well, John deals with all three of these in our text for today. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that bear witness, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And the three are in agreement. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For the witness of God is this, that he has borne witness concerning his Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the witness that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the witness. The witness is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. John makes possible the assurance of eternal life by giving the assurance of who Jesus is, the assurance of who we are, and the assurance that it is a gift. Let's look at those verses again. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that bear witness, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And the three are in agreement. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For the witness of God is this, that he has borne witness concerning his Son. Sounds a, a bit confusing, I think. But as John will make clear, the point of this is that Jesus is the Son of God and that as such, he does have the authority to offer us eternal life. Okay? But what does this is the one who came by water and blood mean? And what does that have to do with who Jesus is? Well, commentators have struggled with that for nearly 2,000 years. Augustine linked the water and blood to the blood and water that came from Jesus' side. Calvin and Luther saw in it a reference to the sacraments. Others have seen here a relationship to the Old Testament sacrificial system with its water purification and blood of the sacrifices. Now, all of these point to Jesus 
and the forgiveness of sin and are therefore possible. But most believe John is specifically calling attention to Jesus' ministry and to his baptism and crucifixion in particular. And Jesus did come out of obscurity by water. His baptism was the inauguration of his public ministry. It was there that John the Baptist declared, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It was there that Jesus' ministry began. But he became our Savior not only by water, but also by blood. His earthly ministry wasn't completed until his blood was shed. He couldn't become our Savior until he paid for our sin through his blood on the cross. Jesus Christ is the one who came by water and blood. And in both, the Spirit bore witness to his identity. At his baptism, the Spirit descended like a dove, and a voice from heaven declared, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. And at the crucifixion, a Roman soldier, convicted by what he saw, and no doubt by the Spirit, declared truly, this was the Son of God. From the beginning of his ministry to its end, the Spirit of God bore witness to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. There's no reason to doubt it. The threefold witness confirmed by the resurrection offers overwhelming evidence. There's no need to wonder if Jesus is really God's son. And since he is the son of God, there's no reason to doubt his authority to make eternal life available. Doubt number one is eradicated. We know who Jesus is and what he can do. Now for the assurance of who we are. The one who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the witness that God has borne concerning his Son. Do you believe in the Son of God? Do you believe the witness of the Father concerning his Son? If you do, John says you have the witness in yourself. But he doesn't explain what he means by that. I think he's indicating that if we accept the witness of the Father concerning his Son, we can have the same threefold witness concerning ourselves and our relationship to Christ. That the threefold witness that makes evident who Jesus is also assures us who we are. And as a believer, we do have the witness of the Spirit. Our identity and relationship to Christ is evidenced by the fruit of the Spirit in our life and the 
indwelling of the Spirit was promised to those who would repent and be baptized. And as did Jesus, we received the witness of water at our baptism. Our baptism bears witness to our relationship with Christ. Now, an external rite in and of itself is no guarantee of a relationship with Christ. But if our baptism was the response of personal faith in Christ and expressed a desire to share in his death and resurrection, we have the witness of water. If we have died to self, buried the old man, and risen to walk in newness of life, our baptism verifies who we are. It serves as a marker, given evidence to the fact that we have indeed accepted Christ as our Savior. It gives visible evidence to a commitment made in our heart and gives assurance of our relationship with Christ. Then, as was also true for Christ, we have the witness of blood. Now, each Lord's Day, we give witness to the fact that Jesus' blood has cleansed us of our sin by partaking of his blood. We sacramentally share in his body and blood, giving witness to the fact that Jesus died for us. Now again, just participating in a ceremony doesn't guarantee a relationship with Christ. But if it's celebrated in faith and in remembrance of what Jesus did on the cross, it serves as a reminder of who we are. The Spirit, the water, the blood. They all testify to the fact that I am a believer and have such have put my trust in Christ to save me. And he's the one who does the saving. We don't earn eternal life. It's a gift. And the witness is this that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. God has given us eternal life. When are we going to realize that? We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. We can't pay for it. It's a gift. You receive it. You accept it. You respond to the gift, but you don't earn it. If you believe in Jesus Christ, 
and have acknowledged your faith in a biblically acceptable manner, you have been given the gift of eternal life. To question your salvation is to question God. To doubt your eternal destiny is to call God a liar because he said he has given us eternal life. And what is eternal life? Is it just living forever? No, no. It's much more than that. Unless everlasting punishment can be defined as everlasting separation from God, therefore opening up the possibility that those who refuse to accept Jesus may eventually be extinguished, everyone will live forever. But living forever may not be a gift. In fact, for some, it will be a curse. Jesus made it very clear that some would go to eternal punishment and only the righteous to eternal life. But who's righteous? Are they those who've earned a standing before God by doing good deeds and going to church? No. No. Because our righteousness is as filthy rags before God. The righteous are those who've acknowledged their unrighteousness and have asked Christ to save them, who've been made righteous by his righteousness. And it's his righteousness that makes living forever something that's desirable. And you start doing that as soon as you accept him as your Savior. Eternal life isn't something we're waiting for. Eternal life begins while you are still living. He who has the Son has the life. If you have the Son, you have eternal life now. When Jesus comes into your heart, eternal life begins. If someone asks if Jesus is in your life, you don't say, well, I hope so. <laughs> so why should you respond, I hope so, to the question, do you have eternal life? If you are a Christian, you have eternal life. There's no question about it and no need to doubt it. If Jesus is your Savior, you have eternal life. And if you died today, if you died today, you would go to heaven. I was talking to someone last Tuesday who asked if I was ready for the coming day. I told him I was, that I'd already bought a valentine. <laughs> but he wasn't talking about Valentine's Day. He was talking about Ash Wednesday. When I told him we didn't celebrate it, he said they did. And 
that it was good for reflection. I agreed that reflection was good, but told him I reflected every day. Now, I wasn't trying to demean what for him was an important day, and I hope I didn't sound smug, but regular reflection, introspection, is essential for believers. Giving serious thought to our relationship with Christ must be more than an annual event because doing so regularly not only helps us stay the course, it can give us the assurance we need to face life with confidence. So look often for the witness of the Spirit in your life. Think frequently about your baptism and what it meant. And celebrate around the Lord's table weekly. And remember you've been washed in his blood. Doing so will enable you to always know where you stand with Jesus. And if you have the Son, what? You have eternal life. Of course, the converse is also true. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. If you've not accepted his offer, if you've not confessed your faith in him, if you've not died to self in Christian baptism, you do not have the promise of eternal life. And for you, the best answer you can give to the question, if you died today, would you go to heaven, is, I hope so. But that doesn't have to remain your answer. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know that you have eternal life and you can know it today. You can accept the gift of eternal life. You can publicly express your faith in the resurrected Lord. You can join him in his death and resurrection through the waters of Christian baptism. And you can identify with a body of believers who regularly celebrate the giving of his body and his blood to save us. You can have the threefold witness that gives the assurance of eternal life if you'll just put your trust in Christ.